Tonight we're continuing our series on altars and idols. We're endeavoring to go from Genesis to Revelation, looking at what the Bible has to say about worship. And tonight we're going to be in the book of Daniel. We're going to look at three different accounts in this book. We're going to be looking at three different chapters, chapters 1, 3, and 6. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open there. If you can recall, I know it's been a while since we've read this passage, but our theme verse for this series really is taken out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And if you remember last week, Pastor Matt preached really through the book of Jeremiah, showing how the the people of God, the Israelites, had corrupted worship. They had brought in idols even into the temple. They were performing child sacrifices and they, they tainted the, the temple of God where God's spirit was to dwell. And so God judged the people of Israel because of their idolatry. And so as we, we pick up the, the book of Daniel tonight, as we begin to read the first chapter, we see what has taken place as the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, has come and taken the people of Israel captive. And so tonight we're going to look at at three specific chapters in the book of Daniel. And in these chapters we're going to look at at three different accounts of men of God being tested really by the culture that they are living in and we're going to see if whether or not they give in to their culture, if they give in to the wickedness that was portrayed in their culture. Now, these men were exiles. They were living in a country that was not their home. Because of Israel's wickedness and idolatry, they were taken away into captivity. And so they were living in a foreign land that did not recognize Yahweh as God. The Babylonians had no respect for Yahweh. Many people say that today we're living in a type of Babylon where our culture doesn't have any fear for God or any respect for the name of the Lord. And so this passage tonight, these these accounts are important for us because what we're going to look at tonight is Three different ways that we can faithfully worship God in a culture that doesn't recognize Him as Lord. And so in Babylon, their culture, they did not recognize Yahweh as Lord. And sadly today, I believe that even in, in what we see in our country is that our culture does not recognize Christ as King, Jesus as Lord, And so how can we still faithfully worship God? And so we're going to look at three separate accounts from the book of Daniel tonight to see how these men in exile still worshipped their God. 
But first, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that tonight your word would speak to all of us. Lord, as um, I believe this can be a, a challenging message for us, but hopefully an encouraging message. Lord, that we would be strengthened, that you would give us a resolve to um, share the truth with a culture that is really anti-Christ, and that we, we would be salt and light in this world. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth into our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Daniel chapter 1, uh, let's, I'm just going to kind of work through these first few verses here. But verses 1 and 2, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he, king Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And so right away we see here that King Nebuchadnezzar has very little, in fact, he has no respect for Yahweh. He takes the vessels from the temple of God and places them in the temple of his God. It's like he was proclaiming that his God was supreme, that his God had conquered the Israelites' God, Yahweh. Then in verse 3 it says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to, each, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And so the king he, he wants to get the, the brightest and the best of the Israelites, the young, wise men of Israel, really to put them through Babylon University, this three-year course to indoctrinate them into the culture of Babylon. Verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So... Here we see that the, the king, he, he, his desire is to indoctrinate the brightest minds of that day of the Israelites, and he even gives them a new identity. And similarly, we see this being played out in our education systems today, where starting from the, the youngest age, even at kindergarten, our children are being indoctrinated in our public education system. They're being lied to. They're not being taught the truth of God's word. And unfortunately, we're beginning to see even our young children take on a new identity that they're being given by these teachers who are supposed to be instructing them. 
similar to what we see here in Babylon. So let's move on to verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved, I love that word, resolved. Daniel had a resolve that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs, eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And so Daniel, along with his three friends, they reject the food of the king that he had to offer and his wine. Now keep in mind, this was probably the finest meat that you could find in the whole world and the finest wine to drink. And Daniel and his three friends, they reject this food and they ask to eat a diet containing vegetables. So what is going on here? Is, is Daniel, you know, fighting for animal rights? Is he, is he wanting to live a vegan lifestyle here? I don't, I don't think that's what's going on. You know, some people think that he was wanting to stay away from unclean foods, that he wasn't wanting to eat pork because that goes against Jewish law. But according to Jewish law, wine wasn't an unclean food. The Jews were able to drink wine, so that can't be the, the full explanation. Others believe that he was abstaining from this food because he was worried that it may have been offered up to idols, that he didn't want to eat of the meat or drink of the wine in case it had been offered to idols, but there's no reason we have to think that the vegetables or the grains that they would have eaten would not have been offered to idols as well. And so I believe what's going on here is that Daniel and his friends, they were wanting to keep themselves from fully embracing the, the culture of this kingdom that they were living in. I don't think there was in, anything inherently sinful from eating some meat or drinking some wine, but they were wanting to remind themselves that they were not part of this kingdom, that they weren't going to eat the meal of the king. They were part of the people of God. They belonged to the kingdom of God. And so I pray that just like Daniel, that we would have a resolve not to defile ourselves with the world's way of doing life. And Daniel was resolved not to take part in the king's practices. And I pray that as Christians today, we would resolve not to take part in what our culture calls okay. You know, the, the, the culture today is going further and further away from the word of God. Things that the Bible clearly lays out as sin. Even the church, some of the church has embraced it as, well, this was the old times, that was for the culture then, we live in a different culture, so we don't have to obey all of the commands of Scripture. I pray that we would have a resolve to not take part in the kingdom of this world, but to be separate and to be part of the kingdom of our God. And so... That's what Daniel and his three friends were endeavoring to do, to be set apart from the, the king's practices. And so in this first example, we see that Daniel and his friends, they, they stood out. Surely as they had the finest steak offered to them, you know, this was, this was written, see I had it written down here. 
between 605 and 536 BC. So say Daniel and his friends, they, they were offered maybe a 700 BC glass of wine. They were offered the finest wine. As they turn it down, surely they stood out. As they were amongst you know, thousands of these best and brightest, they were all indulging in the king's meal and they say, you know what, we don't want this steak. Can you give us vegetables? I don't know who would say that, right? They would turn down a juicy steak for some vegetables. You'd have to be pretty crazy to do that. Um, but as they did this, surely they stood out. And this is the first point I want to make tonight, that as citizens of the kingdom of God, as we live in a fallen culture that doesn't recognize Jesus as Lord... We should be willing to stand out for our faith. That as we endeavor to present our whole lives as spiritual worship to the Lord, as we do this, surely we will be standing out. And these men, they didn't care that they stood out. They were more concerned with worshiping their God than fitting in and blending in with the culture. Likewise, we cannot be afraid to stand out for what we believe, to stand out for believing the truth and living a righteous Christian life, even though it goes against the culture. You know, the devil, he's done an amazing job in his campaign of convincing Christians that our faith is supposed to be a private faith, that we, we have our personal faith that we share here at the church and we share at home, but when we go out our doors, it's a, it's a private faith. And really, there's too many CIA Christians out there today, undercover Christians, that you'd be shocked to find out that they're a Christian. This was never the plan of God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Now, what's sad is I read this verse, it seems that the culture has been more obedient to this passage than Christians. That they have been the ones that have been bold to share their message, to parade their beliefs, to stand out for what they believe. Christians, we've bought into that idea that our faith is to be private and we don't want to impose our beliefs on other people. This isn't biblical Christianity. We don't see this anywhere in the Bible. We definitely don't see this in this account in Daniel. You know, people today are parading their sin around for all to see. If you go to the mall or go anywhere in public, you, you see it everywhere. They're wearing their beliefs on their sleeves. They're wearing their beliefs in their hair. You, you don't have to talk to them to know what they believe and what they stand for. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be the ones, Christ church should be the ones that people know what we stand for. They know what we believe. 
They see the way that we live our lives, even in the public, that we would stand out in a way that our lights would shine before men. Jesus' expectation for his church wasn't that we would keep our faith private. If that was the case, he wouldn't have given us the great commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which I don't think I even need to read this. We probably all have it memorized by this point. But it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank God the disciples didn't keep their faith private. Thank God they believed and obeyed this message and this command that Christ gave them. If not, we probably wouldn't have a church today. If the disciples would have taken this approach that so many Christians in America take where we keep our faith personal, the church wouldn't look like what it does today. There would be no church. And so... I just, reading, reading this passage, I've been really challenged to stand out for what we believe. And how, how can we do that more in this day? You know, a, a great way to do it is to order a Christ is King sweatshirt. <laughs> Go out in public wearing your Christ is King sweatshirt, proclaiming to the world who your King is. But even, you know, I've been, as I've worn my sweatshirt out in public a few times, when I wear it, I'm very aware of what my shirt says. And I'm, I'm always on guard of how I need to behave because I'm representing Christ, which is a good thing. But we, we shouldn't feel this, oh, what are people going to think if I'm wearing a sweatshirt that says Christ is king? You know, the... Since there's kids in here, I'll use it a different way. But the alphabet warriors that are out there, they have no shame in telling us what they believe with what they wear and how they act. So we who have the greatest message in the world, the good news of salvation, the only message that's going to change our culture, we should be willing to go out and stand out and speak our faith in a world that is fallen. Amen. So what is this, what does this look like? How do we do this? Like I said, you can order a Christ as King sweatshirt. Maybe you can have a, a Bible study, not at your home, but at a restaurant. So people around you can see that we actually still do believe this book. We enjoy reading the Bible. You can pray with your family at a restaurant. Hopefully we all do that when you go out to eat. You pray with your family so others can see us living out our faith. Maybe when your friends invite you to a movie that you know doesn't glorify God, instead of thinking of another excuse you can give them so you don't actually have to say, you know what, I don't want to go see that movie because it goes against everything I believe, you can actually tell them, you know what, I don't want to go see that movie because it goes against everything I believe. It's little things like this that we can do that we can begin to take steps to stand out for our faith.
Okay, so let's, let's continue to move on tonight. Um, so the result of these four men going vegetarian for a week, we see that God honored their commitment to him. And that after seven days, they were stronger, or after ten days, they were stronger and healthier than the men who had been eating the finest meat and drinking of the finest wine. God also blessed these men with wisdom and understanding far beyond the rest of the exiles. In verse 20 of chapter 1, it says, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. God honors our commitment to him. God honors those who step out in their faith, who are, who are willing to go against the culture and stand on the word of God. And we're going to see that in every account tonight, that God is always there with these men in the midst of the trial that they are going through. Now, I'm not saying that if you obey scripture, you'll be the most handsome, strongest, knowledgeable out of all your friends like these four men are, but you will be blessed. Psalms chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Look, the wicked are, at some point, they're going to perish. God is going to bless those who stand on his word. So let's be bold in our faith. Let's be willing to stand out for what we believe as we endeavor to worship God in this fallen culture. Okay, so that's the first thing that we can do as we endeavor to worship God in a, in a culture that has gone away from the word of God is to stand out for our faith. Now let's go to chapter 3 of Daniel. And in this chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds an image that is 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. So it's a very tall and skinny image. And what's interesting is, <clears throat> as I was studying this passage for KBI a few months ago, um, I, I always imagined that this was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. But as, as we're reading it, it, it never says that it was in the likeness of Nebuchadnezzar. So looking at these dimensions, it, who knows what this thing looked like. More than likely, it might have resembled King Nebuchadnezzar, but I just think it's interesting that it's not mentioned here that it actually was in his likeness. Nevertheless, this was something they were to worship. And so he gathers all the leaders from all of the provinces that he had captured. So there's thousands that have gathered, thousands of exiles that have gathered here in verse 4, it says, And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the, of the horn, 
pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here we see that everyone bowed except for three men. Out of thousands, only three men stood. They refused, just like they did in chapter 1, to take part of Babylon's system. These men were part of the kingdom of God, and they were willing to die for the name of God. And so our, our first point tonight was that we should stand out for our faith. Does anyone want to take a guess what our second point is? We should stand up for our faith. Good. Amen. And just think about this. It says here that all peoples, nations, and languages fell down. Surely these other exiles, they had their own gods that they worshipped. But no one else refused to bow down to this image no one else said, you know what, I serve my God in, my other, in, my, in the land that I come from. I'm not going to worship this image. None of the, even none of the other Israelites took this stand. It was only these three men. So they're taken before Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 15, it says, Now if you are ready, Nebuchadnezzar's talking, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, Trigon. I need to look up what this instrument of a trigon is. Harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? We see here that the king is challenging their faith. He's calling them out. He's saying that no God is going to be able to deliver you. Your God that you say you worship, your God that you're standing for, He's not going to be able to deliver you out of your hands, out of my hands. And here we see in this, these next few verses where they stand up. They don't cower they don't say, well, yeah, this fire does look really hot, and I'm not sure if our God is going to come through for us. No, they stand up for their God. They defend their God, even in the midst of persecution. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is what it looks like to stand up for 
your faith. When you're being called out for your faith, when you're being told that you follow an ancient book that was full of fairy tales and fables, you stand up and you proclaim the truth of the Word of God. You don't back down. These men, they, they stood up. They refused to bow. They refused to give in. They didn't shy away in their response. They stood up and they defended Yahweh. They were, they were willing and able to stand up and defend God because they knew who their God was. They knew the God that they served. This wasn't a mere statue that they worshipped. They worshipped the true and living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This God wasn't made by human hands. This was the God who delivered the people out of Egypt. This was the God who parted the seas for the Israelites the creator of the universe. You see, God here was under attack and these three men, they stood up to defend their God. And Christianity is under attack today. And the world is wanting us to bow to their system that they've put in place, to embrace their beliefs, to worship their gods, which really is the God of self. And are we going to stand up and speak the truth? The authority of the Bible is under attack. The sufficiency of Scripture is under attack. Marriage is under attack. The sanctity of life is under attack. What are we going to do? Are we going to stand up and boldly proclaim the truth of God's Word? Or are we going to sit back and continue to watch our culture decay and self-destruct. And this isn't just happening in the culture. It's happening, sadly, in the church as well, where the church is beginning to embrace the world's ideology and the world's teachings. So I, I pray that God would give us boldness and wisdom on how to interact with the public because I know it's, it's a difficult thing. Many of us have, have family members who have embraced the, the world's ideology, or we know of friends who have embraced this system of beliefs. How are we to engage them? What does it look like to stand up for our faith? I think that's where we need to pray and ask God to give us wisdom and boldness on how to interact. But one thing is for sure, we're, we're not to just sit back and be quiet and watch our culture take over. I, I think that's been happening for too long, like I said with the previous point, that we've bought into this belief that our faith is a private faith. But really, Christianity is the only, the only one that has bought into that. So I pray that we would stand up for our faith. Amen. And so I'm sure you're familiar with, with this story. They're, they're thrown into the furnace. In fact, they're actually, they fall into the furnace as the men that were carrying them to the furnace were killed by the heat as the king in his rage cranks up the heat so hot that the men that are carrying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the furnace, they drop dead and actually drop them into the furnace. But then the king sees a fourth in the fire with them. 
Now, whether this was Christ or an angel, it was a physical demonstration of God being with His people in times of distress. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, it says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. How many of you have seen that play out in your life? You've seen that truth, or you've walked through storms, and you've seen God right there by your side. So I, I, I pray, and I want to challenge us that in every area of our lives, we'll be able to trust God and stand up for the truth, regardless of the consequences. And there may be consequences. As this world goes further and further from the Word of God, as we speak the truth of God's Word, we are going to be in opposition with the world. But that we would be courageous and bold enough to stand up and speak the truth no matter what awaits us, knowing that God will never leave us or forsake us. Okay, so that's our second point. Does anyone remember the first point? Stand out. The second is we're to stand up for our faith. Now let's go to uh, chapter 6 quickly as we look at Daniel and the lion's den. How many of you kids in here, you like this story of Daniel and the lion's den? These, these first few chapters of Daniel are really my, my favorite chapters in the Bible growing up. So Daniel chapter 6 is, is an action-packed story. In this chapter, we have politics at play. We have action. We've got suspense. We've got violence. But besides all of this is a story of a man of God being faithful to his God in the midst of intense persecution. So chapter 6, it, it starts with Daniel being successful in all that he does. God blesses Daniel and King Darius plans to set Daniel over the whole kingdom. And so those who are in a similar position to Daniel, they don't like hearing about this promotion that Daniel is about to receive, and so they set out to destroy Daniel. Verse 4 says they, they try to find dirt on him. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So they went to his closet, opening it up, expecting to find skeletons, and they just found moths flying out because there's nothing in there. He was a righteous man. And so they come up with a plan. Verse 7 says, All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the counselors, the governors, they agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now king... Establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed. 
according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So for 30 days, no one was to pray to anyone other than to the king. And so let's read Daniel's response in verse 10 of chapter 6. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, I love this, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God, thanks before his God, as he had done previously. So Daniel says, I'm not supposed to pray. Okay, I'll go and find the most public spot in my house and I'll pray three times a day. Now this is, if if I can be honest, this is rather convicting for me. You know, because Daniel could have just, he could have closed his doors and prayed in his room. He could have found a closet in his room. Daniel was a high official at the time, so surely he lived in a pretty nice situation where he could have easily hid and prayed. He could have prayed silently. How many of you, your, your kids have tried to convince you when you've asked them to pray? They said, I did pray. I prayed in my head. Daniel could have done this. Or he could have just waited out the 30 days. Hopefully, none of us would have been able to survive this 30 days. Hopefully, none of us go 30 day, take 30-day gaps before we go before the Lord in prayer. But we see here that Daniel had such a strong devotion for the Lord that he wanted others to know about it, and he had nothing to hide. So this brings me to my third point of how we're to worship in a fallen culture. So the first was to stand out, the second to stand up, and the third is that we are to kneel down. We have to get on our knees, not in surrender. We're not saying we give up. We're getting on our knees to take action. When we see the culture around us falling apart and giving in to really idolatry and a pagan system, a pagan belief system, our first response shouldn't be to read the news and copy the link to an article and share it with our friends so we can talk about the ridiculousness of what's going on around the world. And if I can be honest, this is usually what I do when I read about what is happening in the schools or what professing Christians are teaching from the pulpit, I'm too quick to copy it and share it with my friends to talk about it, and I'm too slow to get on my knees and pray about it. And I think if we can be honest, many of us are in the same boat. That our first thought is, oh, we need to share this article instead of how can I take this to the throne of God and pray about it. Daniel, he, he saw his culture, the, the culture that he was living in was, was wicked. It was full of idolatry. And he didn't give in, but he went to his knees and he prayed. Three times a day he prayed. Some of us have a hard time finding one time a day to pray. But you see, Daniel made prayer a priority. 
It says that it was already his custom to pray three times a day. He, he didn't change his behavior. He was already in the practice of prayer. And so when he was told that he couldn't pray, he just continued to do what he daily did. And our world is broken. Sin is, is devastating every area of our world. And we need God to move. We need God to move in our country. And this is going to happen as we fall on our knees and as we seek his face and as we plead for him to move. I don't remember reading anywhere of revival taking place throughout history as people just sat around and talked about the evil that was surrounding them, like we tend to do today. Now, revival takes place when people get on their knees, when people get in the word of God, when people seek the face of God and plead for him to move. So as we desire for revival in this country, it has to start with us getting on our knees and seeking the face of God. Amen. And so the rest of this story, again, we're familiar with it. The officials went and reported the news to Darius. Darius was actually sad to hear the news of Daniel because he, he, he loved Daniel. He, he respected Daniel. He didn't want to feed him to the lions, but he had signed this ordinance, which these governing officials knew exactly what was going on. They got King Darius in the trap, and so he couldn't go back on what he had signed. And so Daniel spent the night with the lions. That would be an interesting night of sleep. I have a hard enough time sleeping anywhere away from my bed, let alone in a den of lions. But the, the, we see that God spared him in the same way that God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, in the same way that God was with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the first chapter, God was with Daniel here. And I'd like to read the last uh, few verses of chapter 6, starting in verse 20. It says, As he, as King Darius, came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. 
Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in the earth. Listen to this. This is so amazing. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. It was just 30 days or less before that this same king had signed a document saying that you could worship no one else but me or else you're going to be fed to lions. Now he is saying that we are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, do you think that perhaps Daniel was praying for God to change the heart of King Darius while he was on his knees three days, three times a day praying? Surely he was praying and interceding for God to change his heart. What at the time seemed like an impossible ask. But we see here that prayer changes things. That nothing is impossible for God. So I want to challenge us to go before God in prayer. And let's be specific about our prayers. Let's not be general in our prayers. Lord, bless our country. Bless the government bless our president. No, let's be specific about how we want to see God move in our country. I've heard it said that general prayers get general answers, but specific prayers get specific answers. So let's be believers that are constantly on our knees pleading for God to move not just in our nation, but in our lives and in our families' lives. And I believe that we will see that. If, if everyone who professed to be Christians in this country got on their knees daily and sought the face of God, there is no doubt there would be revival in our country. So let it start with us. Amen? And so to recap, in these three chapters tonight, we see three ways to worship God in exile, really to worship God in a culture that is fallen. And that is we are to stand out, we're to stand up, and we're to kneel down.